Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Hey, good morning, church. Good to be with you here, giving this hour to the Lord. I meant to take a sip of water. Let me take a sip of water. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good to be here worshiping the Lord together, and He's right here in our presence. And I want to say just a, a little bit of a word more about this weekend. Uh, this guy, Don Everts, is coming. Don is, uh, has become a friend, and he's someone who's devoted a career's worth of work to InterVarsity, helping college students get into spiritual conversations. And so he's going to be with us Friday night, Saturday morning, talking about that, and then preaching for us on Sunday morning, kicking off our series on Second Thessalonians called Steadfast. So these cards, as they, as they come around... What I want you to do is I want you to think of somebody to invite uh, who is experiencing life as a little bit slippery, okay? Like, you know those moments where life just feels like whew, slippery, like, like it's going to feel later on tonight and tomorrow morning, you know? Like slippery. It's just slippery. Things are not sticking. And maybe, there's some, maybe that helps you to think of somebody that needs an invite to hear that God is steadfast, His love is steadfast, He's a solid rock, He's a place to come home and, uh, and stand. Make sense? So grab these cards. Think of somebody. Make sure you invite somebody. And, and uh, we finish our series, Humanize Me, today. We're looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And as we open our scriptures up, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, we do pray that you open our hearts. We try to open our hearts. But we pray that you really do it, that you would come and, and speak to us, that you'd open us up to your word. Whatever little walls we've got built up, Lord, we pray that you would that you'd knock them over just so we can spend a minute with you, hearing your voice, knowing your love, and being called to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I'm grateful for God's word. Amen. Friends, there's a stage of human development where we realize other people exist. true. Not, not you guys. Infants. Infants I'm talking about. I mean, you guys can tell that other people exist, right? But for infants, there's a stage of human development where we, we figure out that other people exist. You can put two, think about it, you put two babies down like on a blanket next to each other and there's a time where they don't even know that anybody else is there. They're just in their own world. We start out a little self-centered, you know, in that stage. And, uh, but then there comes a time where an infant realizes, oh, there's somebody else there. And then they start to interact. One starts to interact with the other. Maybe, uh, you know, reaches out a hand, shares a toy, shares a smile, smacks them in the mouth, whatever. All very healthy. All very healthy reactions. 
to recognizing there's somebody else there. Psychologists call it decentering. It's the first time that we realize that we are not the center of the universe. <laughs> we decenter. Now, there is a phenomenon, however, when a person, a person fails to meet this stage of development. They fail to, to come to understand that they are not the center of the universe. And those people are called politicians. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, 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 that's not nice. I don't know why I said that about our public servants. Um, no, 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 not, not, no, no, not Paul. Those people are called celebrities. They're called celebrities. And you can see them, you can tell them because their phone is always pointed toward them. The camera's always, no, 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 not, that's not very nice to our entertainers. Um, who are those people called? You know, we could kind of go on and make a list, couldn't we? Uh, those people are called, how about this one? Lead pastor, lead pastor, right? And actually, that's a little more in the spirit of this passage. Because this passage is, is a self-reflection passage. This passage is a mirror passage. What I wish we could all do is, I wish all of us could, uh, you know, there's times when the Scripture is just giving you a mirror, and I wish all of us could just pick up a mirror in front of us for, for this entire message and just look at ourselves in the mirror, because this is a self-reflection passage. Decentering is actually critical to mature adulthood. I mean, it means that you can get out of, rec- of thinking of yourself as the center of the universe. It also means that you can think about yourself from an objective point of view. You can kind of think about your emotions. Like, why do I feel that way? Or you can think about what your reactions. Like, why did I react like that? Or you can think about what you think about. And that's a gift that God gives us. And I think that's what he's calling us to do in a passage like this. You've got to get out of the middle of the universe. Look at yourself. And ask the question, what's the best way to be human? Is it the spirit of the Pharisee? Or is it the humility of the tax collector? We've been going down this road talking about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? I mean, we should all know, but, but, uh, but we, we kind of, you know, we want to talk about it. We want to figure out what does it mean to be a human being? And we've, we've, we've recognized that, that we want to be human. As God made us to be human, as Christ seems to be fighting for us to be human, as there's something deep inside each of us that wants to be fully human, human being. But we've seen that there are these forces that make it difficult, that press against us. We've called them poverties, forces in the world that actually make it difficult for us to succeed simply at being human. And we looked at a list that came out of a a group of people in Rwanda who live on less than $2 a day. And they were asked, well, if I asked you what is poverty, what would you say? And their list was remarkable. They came, up, they came up with a remarkable list of what poverty actually is. They said it's things like lack of hope, dignity, relationship, lack of progress, lack of justice, and things like that, along with all the, the obvious human needs, food, shelter, and health. But there is one item on their poverty list that we have not yet addressed head on. Something that they say is pushes you away from being fully human. Something that they say is an evil that doesn't let you be fully human as God, as God intended you to be. There's, there's, a, there's something on their list that we have not yet addressed head on. They were asked, what is poverty? And they said, poverty is when you don't 
know God. Why would they say that? Living a vulnerable existence, struggling? Why would they turn and say to us, do you know what poverty is? Poverty is when you don't know God. Why? Because friends, no matter how how well you do it at overcoming all those poverties, no matter how much health, no matter how much progress, justice is in your life, no matter how well you do at overcoming all of those other poverties, you will never know what it means to be fully human until you are at home with God through Jesus Christ. To know God. That's what it means to be human. Jesus draws two pictures for us, the spirit of the Pharisee and the humility of the tax collector. Verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Isn't that a nice group? (laughs) Jesus told this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray. Don't you love, I love how Luke just doesn't pull any punches at all. He's like, to this group, uh, a group that was fully confident in their self-righteousness and loved to look down on everybody else. You know, I mean, who is that? Like if Jesus said, I'd like to, t- I've, all of you who look down on everyone else, come over here, I've got a story for you, right? <laughs> Luke doesn't pull any punches. How do you look at other people? The people that you know, you know, lifelong, the people that you just bump into for a minute, how do you look at other people? What spirit do you have when, you, when you're looking at others? Jesus is trying to get us human. He's trying to teach us what it means to be human in the richest, fullest, most beautiful meaning of the word human. How do you look at other people in your life? There's something in our heart, there's something in my heart, there's something in all of us that simply doesn't allow anything else to be said when we're looking at someone else, but I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Well, to those who couldn't escape, but to look down on others, Jesus told this parable. The Pharisee came in, he stood by himself, and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. (laughs) What a prayer. Uh, the robbers, evildoers, the adulterers, or like that, or like that, a tax collector, you know, because I'm not like them, and I just want to come in and say thanks, because I, I, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of, of all that I have, I've got it together. Now, is Jesus saying fasting is wrong, and giving and tithing are wrong? Absolutely not, but look at where this guy's prayer is. His prayer is centered on one thing, Me. If he went through and underlined the word that he says the most, it's I, 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 I. His, his worship, his devotion is all focused on the Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I, okay? And he's proud. His religious devotion has made him proud that he's got it together. He's doing it right. He's, doing, he's performing better than all the other people who try to do things right. I've got it together. And thank, just thank you, God, that I'm not like those other people. You know who I'm talking about. The messy ones. You know those folks who always turn up late, who always forget to sign their forms, 
who always leave their dry cleaning behind, who, who have unruly kids and struggling marriages, and, and, and you know, those people who, who just can't keep it together, who, whose cheese is always slipping off their cracker. As Brennan Manning, Manning said years ago, my cheese is always slipping off my cracker. The spirit of the Pharisee. But there's another guy in the room, Jesus says. The tax collector, verse 13, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pharisees were the high religious. They had it all gone. They had everything right. The tax collectors, they were the worst of the worst. A lot of times, Luke, he would, he would just group them together, wouldn't he? Tax collectors and sinners, like they're members of the same club. The tax collectors and sinners. The humility of the sinner. He comes into the place of, of prayer, but he doesn't really believe that he even deserves to be there. He kind of stays toward the back, and he kind of bows his head. He's nervous about who he's going to see. And this frustration, this frustration with himself, his disappointment in his own performance is so profound that it kind of it kind of wells up in the spiritual expression. He's just beating his breast. Why do I have to be like this? How long is it going to be like this? Why am I stuck like this? And he's beating his breast before the Lord. And what's he going to say? What's he going to say to God? What does he have to say? But Lord, have mercy on me says, I've got no case to make. I've got no record of righteousness to put before you. I've got no leg to stand on to say that I deserve to be in your presence. I don't have that. I don't have that. And all I can ask, all I can say is, Lord, I want to be here. I want to know you. And I want your love. I want to be human again. Lord, have mercy on me. Which of these two is is closer to God? Is it the performing Pharisee who's got everything right? Or is it the brokenhearted sinner? A man without hope, saving the mercy of God. Jesus said, Verse 14, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus was a friend of sinners. That's what they call him, friend of sinners. Prostitutes and tax collectors and adulterers and folks of all kinds of walks of life, people with failed marriages, bad business decisions, unruly kids, checkered past, they loved being around Jesus. Not only did he say, I'm your friend, but they loved being with him. They loved being in his company. How is that? Here's this guy who's holy. I mean, here's a guy who's righteous. Here's a guy who's never made a mistake, and he's as pure as anybody's ever been that walked the earth, and yet this guy, in holiness and purity and righteousness, is somebody that people want to be around, that that sinners just want to be around. He's a friend of sinners. How is that? The Pharisees call him out on After all, you know a man by the character he keeps. Why do you run around with those people? But to Jesus, you see. To Jesus... 
There just was no such thing as unclean in the presence of Jesus. Because he's the one who comes to redeem. Jesus was a friend of sinners. His holiness didn't drive us or anyone away, but gathered near. How do we get that upside down sometimes? How do we get ourselves into a posture where where a kind of holiness or righteousness or holier than thou, it's going to drive people away and it's going to build walls and it's going to separate things out and we're going to be just pushing people out of our presence. They don't want to be around, you know. They don't want to be around. How is Jesus a friend of sinners? And so often in our lives, we're the opposite of that. Would our church, would this body... Would First Pres be called a friend of sinners? Would you? Would I? The spirit of the Pharisee creeps in, and the joy of the friend of sinners walks right out the back door. Why? It happens, friends, when we start to forget, we fail to remember. We are sinners. Is First Pres a friend of sinners? I hope so. Because that's all we got. <laughs> there ain't, there ain't there's any other kind. And I'm up here as your pastor, and I'm here to tell you, I have got no leg to stand on. There is no basis for me to stand up in front of you presenting the Word of God. I have no business standing here but for the grace of Jesus Christ who sought me out when I was far from home, when my heart was rebelling against God, doing damage to myself, the world, others. Jesus named me a friend. He named me a friend and named himself my friend and grabbed a hold of me and shook off my confusion and poured in the oils and balms of of healing love into my wounds and carried me home. The minute you forget that, the spirit of the Pharisee enters, the friend of sinners walks right out the door. How do you remember? How do you keep it in mind? The way to be human, says Jesus, the way to be human is not the, not the self-assertive humanism of the world. And it's not the self-righteousness of the religious churchgoer either. The way to be human is to hit your knees before Jesus and cry out for His mercy. The way to be human, it's the soul battered and bruised, hungry and in need that cries out to the Lord, Lord, I have no basis I have no hope except that you have mercy on me. To remember that and to never forget. Verse 14, church, let's say this together. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The author Philip Yancey once taught a, a class on Christianity to college students in Chicago and um, years ago. And as he was teaching, he wanted to explain what Pharisees were. And so he pointed out an inconsistency in, uh, in a local college. He said, right around the corner is the Moody Bible Institute. And, and he pointed out the inconsistency that Moody Bible Institute did not allow students to grow beards. Even though the founder of Moody Bible Institute, Dwight L. Moody, 
had, by all accounts, the biggest, fullest beard, you know, that a guy could have. He could knock people over with his beard. And so they, uh, they were laughing about this inconsistency and all having a fun time about, oh, the hypocrisy, oh, it's crazy. In the middle of that, one of the students stood up and his, his face was red with anger. And he looked across the rest of the class and he looked at, at Philip Yancey and he said, I feel like walking out on all of you. He said, I came to Christ through Moody Bible. And he said, you know, all a Pharisee is, people, the only thing a Pharisee is, is somebody who finds somebody else to be better than and names themselves superior and starts making fun of the other one. And that's exactly what you just did. You're the Pharisees today. You're the Pharisees. And Philip Yancey was so convicted, you know, he felt so humbled. In attempting to, to point out the Phariseeism of the Pharisaical, he had himself become a Pharisee. And how do you escape that, you know? How do I get out of that? How do I get out of that trap? Where I look at people, you know, so these people, uh, they, they like to make themselves better than others. Well, I'm better than them because those people like to make themselves better than others. And so you, you see how that happens? You get stuck in this, this trap, this never-ending cycle of better than you, holier than thou, more important than the next one to come along. How do you escape that? How do you get out of that? How do you break that trap? How? Well, this is how. You come to Jesus on your knees, a humble sinner, looking for mercy with no hope except in His sovereign grace. And you never forget. The Apostle Paul, when he was, he was writing to Timothy about how to keep the church, the church that Timothy was running in the right spirit, he told, he told Timothy his own story of coming to Christ, how he was a sinner far from God, and God reached out and grabbed him, and brought him home. He said it this way in 1 Timothy 1. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Friends, it is all in Christ Jesus. The grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the faith, the love, it's all in. It's one package. It's in Jesus. And Paul, he said, that all poured out on me. So he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I, Paul, am the worst. He goes on, but, but for that very reason, I, I was shown mercy so that in me, in my story, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense Patience. Why was I saved? So that he could show his patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's saying, I don't know why God reached out in mercy and grace to save me. The best I can think is that God must have wanted to find the absolute worst one. And, and, and by saving me, he, he, he holds me up as an example of his incredible patience and his incredible grace so that others who might open their heart to Jesus would be encouraged if God could save a, a guy like that, he might be able to move in my life. And so Paul says, this is a saying that's worthy of acceptance. It's trustworthy. It's true. It's a saying, he says. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the what? The worst. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. This is something never to forget. This is something that you should write down, and you should maybe repeat. It's a saying, you see? You say it, you know? You keep it in mind. Why? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You say, how can I say that about myself? I know there's people that are worse than me. Listen, you can say that about yourself because you don't know those other people. You know you. You know what's going on in your heart. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Can you say that? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. What it says is it's good to repeat that. It's worth committing to memory. It's worth reminding yourself again and again lest the spirit of the Pharisee enter and the joy of the gospel the friend of sinners be expelled. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I like the line in the Apostles' Creed um, that says, He will come to judge the living and the dead. We say that in the Apostles' Creed sometimes. He will, he will come, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. We used to say quick. Does anybody remember that? Back in the day, you say quick. But not everybody that's alive is so quick, you know? And they're not off the hook. <laughs> so we had to update it. But it kind of matters where you put the emphasis on that line. Do you put it on judge? He will come to judge. I like to put it on he. He will come to judge. Not you. Not me. Not the world out there. Not the voices that that come at you and peck at you and pick at you. And there's no judge. There's no judge but Jesus. And He will come. Only He has the authority to come and to judge. And He will judge the living and the dead. He will judge me. And who is Jesus? Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. My only hope is in Jesus. Friends, who is Jesus? We've seen every step of the way that Jesus is the one who took on our inhumanity so we could be human. The weight of our sin, the weight of our disobedience was cast on His shoulders. He died for us on the cross. And when He did, He took on all of our inhumanity so that we could be human again. He gave His body as broken bread, said, Take and eat. Feed on Me that you can have eternal life. He became paralyzed on the cross, pinned there, burdened and bound, so that we could walk free. Who is Jesus? Jesus took the lowest place so that you and I could sit in honor. He took on indignity so that you and I could know dignity. He took the bite of the wolf, the bloodthirst of the lion, the poison of the serpent. You see, the the wolf, the lion, the serpent, all the hatred 
of the flesh, the world, and the devil, he took on himself so that you and I could know peace. Who is Jesus? He took on injustice so that we could know justice. He took his cross and he carried his cross outside the city gates so that we could enter the city of God and know eternal life. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus became utterly alone so that you would never have to be. That's Jesus. And Jesus, today I tell you, is the one who faces down all the judges. The judges of the world. The judges of the church. The judges in your own head when you judge yourself so so harshly. Jesus says, no. That's not the voice. I'm the judge. And I will come to judge. And I am the only one with authority to give my judgment of who you are and what you mean to me. And I'm the only one that you will listen to. I will come and I will judge the living and the dead. I will judge your life. I am the judge. And who is Jesus the judge? Jesus has made his judgment. He has made his declaration. He penned his judgment right there on the cross. For any who would come to look and see. Jesus is the one who says. I love you so much. I died for you. So I want to give you a moment as the praise team comes out. I want to take a moment here and just ask. Do you know Jesus? You've heard about Jesus. You've talked about Jesus. Maybe you've run in a community of faith. Do you know Jesus? See, a lot of us, we're in a regular conversation with him. We're trying to follow him. We're trying to live our lives like Jesus. We live by his grace every day as we fumble and falter. But a room like this, I know that there are people here coming from all kinds of different perspectives, and I know that there are those here this morning who have never opened up their heart, have never trusted Jesus enough to begin a conversation, let alone trusted him enough to give him your life. Who is Jesus at every step? He has taken on our indignity, our inhumanity, so that we could be humans, childs, children of God, sons and daughters of the King. He's taken on our death so that we could have life. And He's right here. And if you've never opened your heart to Him, I want to give you a moment. I've done all, I've done my very best to introduce Him to you. But I want you to take a moment to introduce yourself to Him. He wants to hear from you. So I'm going to pray, and uh, if, you, if you want to begin a conversation with Jesus, if you want to give Him your heart, this is the place to begin. But nobody prays alone. And so I'm going to ask that all of us, all of us here, as you're willing, would bow your heads and pray with me, follow along in prayer. No one prays alone. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, friend of sinners, before you this morning is one more. I am without hope except for your amazing grace. Lord, forgive my rebellion. Wash me clean of my sins. 
carry me home to the Father. Thank you for giving your life. Now I give you mine. In Jesus' name, amen. into a time now uh, as a church each year we we take a minute to express our our commitment to the lord and his work in the coming year and so what you're about to experience is people who've uh, who've seen the grace of god come into their lives they've been named friends of jesus by his grace and and what they long to be a part of is the work of jesus pouring out into the world to reach others and so we, we make a commitment. Uh, as folks will step forward, you might have brought a commitment card with you. We'll step forward and place them up front as a way of putting a stake in the ground and saying, Jesus, I want to be a part of your work. I want to be a part of your grace. I want to be a part of your declaration of friendship that goes out from here and into the city streets and into the world. The glory of your name would be, would be known, would be made known in 2020. Now, if you're, uh, I want to say again, if you're, new to First Pres, if you're here with a friend, there's nothing at all expected of you. All we would ask of you is that you might just join us in celebration as you watch mature Christian disciples step forward and make a commitment to the work of the Lord in the coming year. But there are commitment cards around, and, and, and if you want one, one of the little blocks just says, I commit to giving to the work of the Lord next year. No amount. It's just, I want to I make that commitment. But you could even take one and write whatever you would like. If you'd like to write whatever you would like and bring it up here and lay it before the Lord. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my, my, my work life. I want to give you what? Whatever. We love to get those messages. We go through those. We pray for people. 
want to encourage you to step forward and make a commitment one way or another. So, there's no one to be dismissing you. Whenever you're ready, come forward. Come forward and offer your commitment to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you do love us so much that you call us your friends. And and we thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of sharing that friendship with others. We thank you that you can already see all the places where your grace and your light and your life are going to flow through this people, through this church in 2020. And and Lord, we're just amazed that we get to be a part of it. So Lord, be glorified as we make our commitments to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.